0: Welcome to the LA Realtor Podcast. I'm Paul with Great Belts.
1: And I'm Sarah with Glen Oaks Escrow. And we're getting to know the industry one conversation at a time. Hey, Sarah. Hey, Paul.
0: What's <laughs> happening? Not much. Did you recognize that was from a movie? No. You seen uh, Office Space? Yes. It's from that.
1: Do you have the TPL reports or? Oh, oh I think it's, it's TPS. Something. TPS. I don't know. Lumberg. Lumberg.
0: I don't know what we're talking yeah. about, but let's jump into it. I'm really let's. excited about our guest today. I know him really well. You've heard of him, so that's a good start. <laughs> he sold real estate for for a while, and I bought a bunch of real estate from him back in the REO and short sale days. Welcome, Steve Haravi.
2: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Yeah, this is awesome. I'm excited. You're one of the really good guys out there. So. I'd like to first ask you about your trajectory in the real estate world. How long have you been doing this?
2: Funny you ask, because today is actually my 17 year anniversary. Yay, me.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> Congratulations. I'm impressed that you kept track of that. <laughs> Are you, will you be yeah. taking yourself out to dinner or lunch? <laughs>
2: No, I will not. Uh, Actually, the credit goes to the first manager that hired me 17 years ago. I was talking to him two days ago and he remembers all these dates and he said, two more days is your anniversary. And I thought, wow, it, it is 17 years have flown by.
0: Wow. That's crazy. All right. So when I knew you, it wasn't quite 17 years ago, I believe you were a real estate agent. And then you pivoted to being a branch manager. That was at Caldwell and now you're a managing director at Compass. Do I, do I have that right, more or less?
2: More or less, yes.
0: Okay. <laughs> so I'd love to hear about that trajectory because I think our audience would like to know what's it like and what's the decision matrix when you go from being a real estate agent to going into management. So can you talk to us about what was the decision like to become a branch manager? What was that job like? And then so on and so forth.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So in my world, it's actually very, very rare for a salesperson, especially if you're productive and, you know, do well to go into management. My last three or four years selling real estate, I was a mentor to new agents. And that was probably half my time for a small fraction of my income. But I quickly learned that that's where my passion was. It's kind of like being a teacher, you know, you don't do it for the money, you do it because you actually love helping others. And that was me. I was that geek that just loved helping everybody else with you know, all their stuff. And after a few years of doing that successfully, Cowell Banker at the time took notice and came to me with an opportunity in management at the time in Calabasas. And I jumped at it. I actually, in my personal life at that time, my wife and I just had our second child who was a few months old. And even selfishly, I thought great time to maybe take, get, get my weekends back a little bit, stop working seven days a week. So the timing worked out for me personally and professionally.
0: All right. So that was the that was branch manager at Caldwell. So what was, that, what was that job like? How was that different than being an agent?
2: Well, very different. But what they have in common, though, is as an agent, you have your clients and you want to put your clients' needs first all the time. As a branch manager, your agents become your clients, right? Except not for a transaction, but ideally for a lifetime. Something that I always told my agents back then, and I still do today, is that at home I have two kids and here I have X amount of kids because (laughs) I'm kind of like a father figure at the office, right? So I don't care how old anybody is. If you're working with me, I'm like your dad. So you can come to me with all of your professional needs, your personal concerns, whatever it is, and I'm here to help. So in that way, it's similar. But the thing is that when you're a real estate agent, occasionally you might have a client that you just really don't gel with. You don't really love this client. So you're looking forward to closing the escrow and maybe never having anything to do with them ever again. But when you're a manager, you're signing up for a lifelong commitment, right? So hopefully you're working with people that you really enjoy working with. Otherwise, your days might not be uh, so lovely.
1: So how many offices do you uh, manage now?
2: Right now, I oversee uh, seven offices. I I specifically run Compass's Calabasas office, but my role is essentially like a regional manager. So I do oversee um, a total of seven offices.
1: Okay. And then in those other, those six other offices, is there another on site manager or are you? managing that as well. There is. Okay, cool. There is.
2: There's an on-site sales manager in all those offices. Yep, absolutely.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I I was, somebody was saying the other day that their office has like three managers that are, you know, there's like a rotation. I was like, that's so cool because there's kind of always someone there to help, which is nice. It's not just one person stretched really thin. It's well-staffed.
2: Yeah, I mean, in a perfect world, you would have that because not everything is a meeting by appointment. In the olden days, you know, which is pre-COVID, everything was was not an appointment, right? It was people just walking into your office and saying, you got a minute, which really meant you have 45 <laughs> minutes, right? But there were no, almost no scheduled meetings. It was extremely rare. COVID has changed so many things in this world. And now lots of my meetings are maybe a little bit more scheduled, but still I get people that just want to walk in and say, hey boss, you got a minute.
0: Yeah. I mean, when you say boss though, I mean, are you are you really the boss? I guess my question is, what does an agent need a manager for? What's, what's the most important role they need you for?
2: Wow, I could spend a lot of time on that one. They're all very different. I could say for most parts of their business. So they're all independent contractors. And you're right, I'm not technically their boss, but I learned from a previous boss of mine that when your agents refer to you as boss, it's a term of impairment, right? Mm. So I think that that's really cool. And they're all different. Some, are, some independent contractors are super independent, but most uh, most are not and that's okay so helping out with listings helping out with you know deal doctoring as we as we put it i like to think of myself as a great coach so i love taking somebody who's making x amount of income but really wants to be doubling their income and how do you work with them and maybe you know find their their strong suits their weaknesses and bring them to levels that they never even expected possible that's the absolute favorite part of my job
0: so you're the coach you're you're Ted Lasso
2: <laughs> yes i wish i was ted lasso he's a basic right
0: don't we all
1: <laughs> what is deal doctoring
2: so deal that's a great question so deal doctoring is uh helping with their deals without getting too granular just literally three minutes before uh, we started today's session. I was helping an agent with the cancellation. One party wants to cancel, the other party does not want to cancel. What does that look like? The forms, the legalities, et cetera, et cetera. So yes, there's a lot of deal doctoring and even for veteran realtors that are 20 plus, 30 plus years in the business, it seems like their deal doctoring is happening all day, every day. So, but that's great. You know, it's a, it's a part of our job.
1: Yeah. It's like troubleshooting.
2: Yes, yes, yes. The only unfortunate part about a lot of deal doctoring is that it's reactive versus proactive. Mm. And I wish we could do everything proactively in life, but lots of deal doctoring situations are much more reactive. So it is what it is.
0: Yeah. Here's what I'd like to know, Steve. You were both an agent. Now you've been in management for a while. You've seen a lot of real estate agents and you've seen some I'm sure some really successful ones, and you've seen some agents that come and go. Is there anything that you've kind of figured out? Is there anything that you've witnessed where you could tell our audience, here are a few things that, especially if you're new to the business or you're trying to build your business, here are a few things that successful agents do.
2: They treat it like a job, right? They (laughs) treat it absolutely like nine to five plus, 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 like it's a job. They have a serious work ethic. And everything that's on the list to do today, lo and behold, is actually done today, right? Because when you are an independent contractor, well, you don't have to. There is no real boss. So if something was on your calendar to do today, well, you can, you know, cut and paste that for tomorrow and the day after and the day after that. But if you actually have a job, so if you work at Target or Nordstrom or wherever you work and your boss says, these are the five things I need you to get done today, Well, you know that if you want to collect your paycheck every other Friday, you better do those things. But real estate's different, right? So the folks that are most successful make a plan, stick to the plan, no matter what.
0: You got to be self-motivated, right? There's no, like you said, there's no boss. What, crazy question, but what percentage of agents do you think fit in that category?
2: It's under 50%. It really is. It's, I'm going to say it's probably somewhere around 20, 30% really do an outstanding job. I mean, you know, just a stellar job, making the calendar, putting everything on there every week. And no matter what, rain or shine, personal problems, I'm not feeling well, I have a bellyache. They get it done. And it's okay to occasionally move something around on your calendar in the given week. But the most successful folks, no matter what, everything still gets done. No matter how much they don't want to do it, everything gets done. And like I say, unfortunately, it's less than half.
1: Yeah. Consistency is really, and just taking action are like the best ways to move your business.
0: Yeah. So how do you, you're this coach, you're this mentor, and you're seeing an agent that isn't, isn't hitting this, isn't functioning on all eight cylinders. You're frustrated. What are you doing to motivate them? What, are, you, are you giving them the same pep talk you kind of just gave us, which is successful agents do this? What are you doing to help them out in their career?
2: So a couple of things. So first of all, I do, I always offer myself, I do various types of coaching. And for some folks, I offer to be their accountability coach, right? Mm. So give me your plan, give me your calendar. And we're going to sit down and I will hold you accountable, right? Not to be mean about it, but I will absolutely hold you accountable to whatever, to whatever that plan is. And I give them an analogy, which is UPS, right? So I tell them, if you worked for UPS, you would go every morning, you would report for duty, you would fill your brown truck full of all these brown boxes. <laughs> and once you're done, right, that means that all that your truck is now void of brown boxes, well, you get to go home. But if there's still one box left, you can't return the truck to HQ, right? So think of real estate like that. So every day, we're going to put all of these boxes, right, in the back of your truck. And you're not going to clock out until every single box has been delivered.
1: Yeah. A lot of people are trying to go back to basics right now, right? With a little bit of a slowdown, people are like, okay, what do I need to be doing? What do you feel like are the best things that someone can be doing right now in a climate like this to move their business forward
2: So you're absolutely right it is 100% back to basics and you know having to really work for the money versus every listing just a few months ago getting 42 offers in the first 42 hours right very different times all of a sudden So to me the number one thing is staying very connected to your sphere of influence so and it's not just once a year saying Merry Christmas or happy New Year, you really have to be in touch with everybody that you know and constantly remind them that you're still in business, you're still relevant, you're still here to help them, their loved ones, whomever it is, buy and sell real estate. And for folks that challenge me on that and say, well, you know, everyone knows me, everyone knows I've been doing this for 20 years. They get my mailers, whatever it is. I, then I ask them, well, why is it that all these big companies, Doritos, Coca-Cola, Verizon, why do they advertise during the Super Bowl when they're already number one in their field? Right, yep, yep. Um, because they every they have to take every opportunity to remind everybody that they're the biggest, they're the best, and they're still relevant. And we as real estate professionals have to do the exact same thing. So if we're sitting on our hands or our laurels, eventually we're going to be out of business.
0: Right. There's an agent in my um, in my neighborhood in my farm, or I guess he farms our neighborhood, that gives out pumpkins every Halloween to every house in the farm, and that's like a big task because these are So I see him with a big truck like himself and some helpers putting pumpkins on everybody's door with his flyer. I mean, it's cool. I love my free pumpkin, but are ideas (laughs) like that a good idea because you stand out or not such a good idea?
2: I think overall, I'd say yes. I never did that in the the 10 years that I sold real estate. I never did give out any pumpkins. pumpkins. All right. No, no. But, you know, some people do pumpkins. (laughs) Some put out flags on the 4th of July. Some people do pies at Thanksgiving. Some people do umbrellas on a rainy day. You know, I've seen, Hmm. I'll never say I've seen it all, but I've seen lots of different ideas. But at the end of the day, it's about making connections. And if you're constantly making connections and reestablishing your connections, no harm in that.
1: What's your favorite way to connect for when you were doing real estate or how do you advise your agents? What's the best way to connect? Is it one-on-one, like reaching out to people, phone calls? Is it pop pies? Is it door knocking?
2: Social media.
1: Yeah, social media is big. So
2: it is huge and it's a great way to leverage But still, to me, number one are phone calls because that doesn't a lot of people don't actually pick up the phone anymore. I I have office meetings and, you know, and I and I talk about that frequently that, you know, if you're just texting or emailing, that may not be enough. You have to actually hear someone's voice and take their pulse. And even social media is wonderful. And a lot of people think that they're connecting with their sphere of influence by hitting the like button on Facebook or the heart on Instagram. Well, that's not enough. And Mm -hmm. even there, comment versus just a like or a love because the average person doesn't look at, you know, let's pick on Facebook for a moment. The average person doesn't actually click and see, who liked my post, right? right? On a good day, they'll see who commented, but nobody is probably you know, that bored where they're going to look and see who actually liked their post. So that's right. not a way of connecting with people.
1: Especially if they have like 50, 60 likes, they're not going to, or hundreds, like there's I, no way they're I, going through the list. Right,
2: know? like I get yeah,
0: hundreds of likes.
2: <laughs> right,
0: exactly. So, sorry, Steve, you <laughs> were saying, pick up the phone and talk about what?
2: Yeah, anything, anything. the weather, Um, and and yeah, I mean, to me, it's more personal, right, than real estate. There's a stat I think by the National Association of Realtors that if you're if you're talking about real estate, you're only going to hit eight percent of people because only eight percent of people are actively engaged in real estate at any point in time. So even let's uh, pick on social media again. So if I post a new listing on Facebook, I'll get a few likes and maybe one or two comments. If I post on Facebook my dog right? I will get exponentially (laughs) more likes and loves and comments over my Labradoodle than I will even a $20 million listing every single day, because only 8% of people care about that listing I posted, but everyone loves my cute dog. Right.
1: Yeah. It's important to like be personal, like have that touch to it because if all you're posting is pictures of houses There's no personality behind that. There's no sense of connection. There's no relationship being built. But if they know your dog, (laughs) now they can talk about your dog with you next time you see them.
0: What about the Labradoodle in front of the house with that double your exposure?
2: By the way, so it really does. And it's for me, it's my kids, right? So I have two kids. They're seven and almost 11. And if I really want to make a great social media splash, and I do this occasionally, I'll go visit one of my agents at their weekend open house. I'll take my kids with me. Ooh. They will be in my, in my feed and videos of them even giving a tour of the house. And all yeah, of a sudden, I get far more engagement with my 10-year-old giving a tour of the house than me interviewing the listing agent about that house.
0: Right. Huh. Is TikTok a thing you guys talk about in terms of exposure?
2: A little bit, yes. I do have a few you know, people in the organization that are far more experienced at TikTok than I am. Admittedly, you know, I'm not really a TikToker. But hopefully soon, I'll I'll find some time to start TikToking.
0: You'd be terrific, Steve. <laughs> terrific. Are you on TikTok? I'm not. Uh, <laughs> I
1: downloaded it. I had it for a day, and it was
0: just—it
1: was a black hole of
0: funny, though, right?
1: I mean, it's it's the thing is, there's such quick videos yeah. that you just end up spending like half an hour, an hour, and yeah. you're like, oh my god, what just happened? Right. You know?
0: That's the idea. Like you
1: black out, and then you wake up. And you're like, <laughs> What was, what are that's we doing? what
0: China <laughs> wants us to do. They don't want us to sell real estate. They want us to watch TikTok.
2: Yeah, that's the thing. I think for me, I'm just worried about one more thing to just be a time suck, if you will. Yeah. So, um, yeah. in fact, Paul, I remember vividly back when you and I were working together and the REOs and whatnot, like you were describing, I had an assistant back then that told me, you know, Steve, you, you need to get on Facebook. And at first, I refused. I said, "No, that's not for me. That's just going to, you know, waste my time. I don't need anything else to waste my time." Well, she went ahead and created an account for me, and then hmm. wrote down on a sheet of paper, I, "I created an account. Here's your username and password. I suggest you start getting engaged." Huh. Well, she was right, and I wish she was here today so I could thank her.
0: That's funny. That's interesting. That's some good tips, Steve. Okay, now now tell us. Now you've you've grown in management. Now you're managing director. At Compass, so you run multiple offices. Has that job changed from when you were branch manager? Is it different?
2: It is different because as a branch manager, you're leading independent contractors. As a regional or managing director, as I'm called here, you're a leader of leaders. So now I lead people that are on payroll and they're leaders themselves. So that dynamic is extremely different. Very, very different. But you know, but the cool thing though here at Compassari is that I get to kind of do both. So I call it like a hybrid role. So I still get to touch agents on a daily basis, which is phenomenal because that is my favorite thing to do is to work with real estate professionals and coach them. And at the same time, I enjoy working with leaders as well, but I'm just grateful that it's not the only part of my job.
1: Right. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Do you enjoy both of them equally? But it's kind of nice to have like two different... It's like variety, mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> it is because in some worlds, you know, some companies, when you are a regional, that's really all you're doing. So it's like you're truly like this corporate guy, and you have six to nine Zoom meetings a day, and you know that's what it is. So I'm happy if I can have maybe two to three Zoom meetings a day and spend at least half my day helping other people be successful in their business. I love that the most, and yeah, I, I'm sure it resonates with with all the folks I work with.
0: Ted Lasso Haravi.
2: <laughs>
0: you might want to spark, start your own,
2: your own soccer team. <laughs> oh, boy.
0: So I'm sure there's some agents out there that might be interested in the management path, kind of like you took. Sounds like it kind of fell in your lap a little bit. Somebody saw you and thought you'd be a good fit for management. But if someone's interested in that path, any recommendations on how they might do that?
2: Well, anybody can call me, talk to me anytime. I'll definitely you know, help out. But I think also you have to soul search because there's a difference in being selfish and selfless. And to be a great manager, it's like parenting. You have to be completely selfless. You really do. Mm. Um, you're taking care of others. You're putting their needs first. And for a lot of people, and that, there shouldn't be any shame in anybody's game. For a lot of people, that's really hard. It's the me show, me, me, me. And that's Okay. But if that's, you know, again, once you soul search, if you find that you're more of a me person, I would recommend that you keep servicing me by way of selling real property and not taking on one to 200 people that are going to rely on you 365 days a year.
0: Yeah. Are you saying you get phone calls on weekends?
2: (laughs) Oh boy, weekends, (laughs) holidays, when I'm in, when I'm in Cabo with with, with my wife, like I was a few weeks ago.
1: Yes, And by the way, and
2: I, and I'm, and just like being an agent, you know, if the phone ever stops ringing, that's when you have a problem. So for me, I always say to my wife when occasionally she's like, oh my God, there's, you're still getting phone calls. I say, you know what, honey, if I ever stop getting these calls, that's when we have to worry.
0: Yeah. Is there crazy phone call you can think of? Oh boy. (laughs) (laughs) To put you on the spot.
2: (laughs) There are a lot. I had one recently where there was a uh, a squatter had gone into a house unbeknownst to anybody on a vacant property, and um, depending on the property that that can be a challenge. In fact, uh, um, just even saying that to you, Paul, takes me back to years back when I was working on REOs bank foreclosures because yeah. you could not. I mean, here at least in LA County, and you know, even LAPD was always extremely upset at the process because they were. They couldn't do anything they they were powerless, so um, anyway, I had to talk somebody through one of those recently. Of course, fortunately, when there is an actual owner versus a bank, it is a lot easier, yeah, but still it's like imagine you you know you come home from a vacation, you open the door and you're like, "Um excuse me, who are you?" and why are you sitting on my couch watching my TV yeah
0: Oh my gosh, if only that conversation was that nice, <laughs> right,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah I no, think I'd have a little more erratic of a yeah, response duh. to that,
0: right <laughs> yeah. Some yeah, swear words so management's not easy, i think is is your point, right? You have to take the the me out of the equation and
2: yeah. Just it's just not Look, easy, I, right? I, I love it. I, I like beyond love it. Love for me is, is an understatement. It's my passion. It's my life. I would do anything reasonable for all my people. But I think if you examine real estate professionals as a whole, I think, you know, you're talking about 1% or so get into management. It's extremely rare. And especially once folks really do very, very well, and they start making a ton of money then they feel like, well, because in some cases, if you're doing really, really well in sales, then it's, all, it's, a, it's a financial step backwards to get into management. And in the beginning, it was for me, but I didn't care. I was giddy about servicing others. So I do consider myself a servant leader. I love it. And I wouldn't change a thing personally.
1: I've seen some people become managers or team leaders in offices, sometimes with very little experience, like some people brand new to the industry can end up in those positions how does that happen? Like, is there no barrier to entry? Can anyone be a team leader or a branch manager if they had the opportunity to?
2: Well, respectfully to certain people at certain organizations, yes. Although my personal opinion is that it's not the best idea in the whole wide world. So if, you know, let's use a police analogy here. So you want to become the sergeant or the captain. Well, if you never drove around in a squad car and you know lit your lights and sirens and made a few arrests in the field and so on and so forth, why would your police officers think that you're a wealth of information and knowledge? You're not. Right. You just somehow got the job because you knew the chief of police, right? So for me, one of the things that I think is a huge part of my value proposition as a manager, as a coach, as a leader, is that I sold hundreds of properties before I got into management. So yeah. I can speak... Intelligently, I can give examples and analogies to almost anything you bring forward. And you know, I'm not here to disparage any other organizations and how they operate. But it is true: at certain organizations, you may have closed five or ten properties, and all of a sudden, here you are running the office. But I don't think that those leaders will ever be nearly as successful. And and I think a lot of their agents can really see the difference because how can you speak intelligently to something that you've never done?
0: Right. And we're entering a, a strange time, right, Steve? I mean, this has got to be a weird time to be a real estate agent. It's probably going to be a tough time for you too. I know you don't have a crystal ball, but what do you think? What do you think the industry's going to be like for the next year or two?
2: Well, I think it is what it is. Fortunately, unfortunately, depending on who you are and how you slice this, I think this is going to be a time where certain licensees will choose to get out of the business and go get what some call a real job. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, and that's okay. That's fine. But yes, people are now going to have to go back to basics, which is hard work. We just covered this in a, in a recent sales meeting a few days ago. That now you get a listing, and you're gonna you're going to have to you know actually do some marketing. Lo and behold, let's talk about price right. reductions and those conversations with your sellers and what that looks like. Because I was I met with uh, one of my agents yesterday who has been in the business now for I think about three years. And he was pulling his hair out because he was having a difficult time selling a listing. And, you know, and he kept saying how this has never happened and this has never happened. And I interrupted him and I said, (laughs) three years in the business, you you don't get to say this has never (laughs) happened before because you've only seen good day. If you've been in the business 10 plus years, 20 plus years, then it's okay for you to say that. But you've right. only seen this crazy, phenomenal, wackadoodle doodle market, no contingencies and all the things that were being promised and offers. So now, you know, we're going to get into a little bit more normalcy, if you will. so. Right. Um, but it's definitely going to be a lot of hard work, back to basics. But yeah, I think we're going to see some people leave the business.
0: Yeah. Price
2: reductions. Price reductions, yes. And, you know, that, yeah. that, that's a good one because in the olden days, they were just called price reductions. Now we have all these <laughs> great new terminology to use, right? Price modifications and price uh-huh. improvements and, you know, all these great <laughs> things to make our sellers feel better about what, what they're doing. One of the things I, I love to do, I've done this my entire career in management is I will tell my agent that I will go with you on that price reduction appointment. So when you go and have that uncomfortable sometimes conversation with your seller at their dining room table and, you know, talk about the market and the activity and the old comps and the new comps and their neighborhood, so on and so forth, I will do it with you. And sometimes wow. a change of voice, a change of title can be a really, really big help. Also, because a lot of sellers are, I hate to say it, but they're blaming their agent. You didn't do enough marketing. You didn't do enough open houses. And I have the opportunity to sit there and really start off by complimenting the agent on what a miraculous job they've done. And then basically tell the seller or sellers that you know we do have to look at the price because anything can be sold. I can sell the shirt off my back right now if I price it right. And I firmly believe in that.
0: Yeah. What do you tell an agent who has a potential listing and they want to price it unrealistically? Hundreds of thousands of dollars, let's say higher than today's market. Do you tell them to take the listing or not?
2: Well, it really does depend. The the truth there is, Paul, that for more seasoned veteran agents, I will counsel them on walking away. I Mm -hmm. will tell them you want to talk to the seller about, listen, I wouldn't be serving you if I just did what you told me, right? Because this is a partnership and we have to agree on things and agreeing on the price is very important. At the same time, sometimes, like you said, hundreds of thousands of dollars, but I think that depends on the price point, right? So if it's a million dollars and somebody wants 1.3, well, now that's 30% above and that's crazy. Mm-hmm. But let's say it's a $3 million listing and it's 300,000 know, above, it's about 10%. So maybe to the veteran agent, my counsel might be, well, potentially take it, But with an agreement, preferably even a written agreement with the seller, that at X days on market, we will revisit, we will reposition if need be. Conversely, with a newer agent, I will coach them on giving them a little bit more latitude and flexibility because new agents are hungry. They're desperate to put a sign in the ground to say, I have a new listing. And I get that. And also, there's an old saying, which often holds true, that listings begat listings. So I one time I was a new agent and I took a uh, a listing on a busy street in Sherman Oaks even though I knew it was overpriced just because I thought being on this busy street on Woodman Avenue I would get more listings from it and I did I got another listing two blocks over and I closed the other listing before I even closed the original listing so yeah. it's a juggling act and you have to find the balance I guess that that works That's yeah. great Steve
0: I love this this conversation because there were a ton of nuggets there. I mean, you're you're coming from a really a cool place of expertise. You're, you have not only had the experience of your 17 years of transactions, you've had the experience of hundreds of agents worth of transactions and you've seen problems that you that most agents have never seen because you've just, you talked to so many agents and you counsel so many of them. So I, I really appreciate this. I think you, you gave an, a number of amazing tips. Thank you. Yeah, it was great.
2: Thank you guys so much for having me. This was, uh, this was really fun. I can't wait to uh, share this later on with, with my kids and tell them, you know, that dad's famous. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Steve. Appreciate it. Thank you both. Take good care.
1: Thanks, you too.
0: Thanks for joining us for today's episode. I'm Paul with Great Builds.
1: And I'm Sarah with Glen Oaks Escrow. And if you like what you heard, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review.
0: If you'd like to get in touch, please email us at larealtorpod at gmail.com. We'll see you next time. We'll see you
2: next time.